Good morning, church. Thank you for joining us online today. So great, great to be with you on this Labor Day. I hope you're having a wonderful Labor Day weekend. I heard a joke um, about how this guy just finished up some LASIK eye surgery, and his surgeon is leading him out of the operating area into his office to discuss how the surgery went. And the surgeon looked at him and said, do you want the good news first or do you want the bad news? Of course, the guy said, well, I guess I'd like the good news first. Well, the surgeon tells him, well, you're about to get a new dog. Get it? A seeing eye dog? I know that's a terrible joke. But my point is, how many know that sometimes life can be a bit unfair? How many have ever found that out to be true in, our, in your life? We all have. Maybe it was you were uh, uh, standing up for something that you just knew was right. You turned it, and you turned out to be the victim. Maybe you were proclaiming uh, your faith in Christ and you end up losing family members and friends over it. Sometimes life can just seem unfair. We're actually in our third week of our sermon series that we've called Letters to the Church, where we're looking at letters that were written by John the disciple when he was on the island of Patmos. Uh, as I said uh, a few weeks ago, he wasn't on the island of Patmos for a vacation or a holiday. He was banished to that island because of his faith. And while he was there, he had a vision, which is called a revelation. Turns out it's the last book in our Bible. And in a nutshell, the book of Revelations is all about Jesus. And in the first few chapters, John is, uh, Jesus is dictating letters to John to be sent out to these seven churches. And Jesus says, uh, has something he wants to say to each one of these churches. So he sort of gives them a review. And what you're going to notice is that in every letter, in every letter, Jesus gives them some good news first and then gives them the bad news. He starts out with some good news. This is what you're doing right. And then he turns around and kind of corrects them, saying this is what you're doing wrong. So today, John is going to write a letter to the church in Smyrna. Two things stand out about this letter to me. Number one, it's the shortest letter of all the letters sent to the church, churches. And the second thing is, God doesn't really condemn this church. He has nothing but good things to say to this church, which I think is pretty awesome. Give you a little background on Smyrna. It was a very beautiful and a very wealthy city, and it's uh, the only one of the seven cities that's still in existence today. Um, the rest of them have disappeared. Smyrna's still there, although it's called by a different name. It's called Ismir. It's located in modern-day Turkey today. But anyway, as far as religions go, the city of Smyrna basically had two types of people, two types of religions there. They had those that worshipped the emperor, who at that time was Caesar, and once a year it was the duty of every Roman citizen to burn incense on the altar, to worship Caesar, and to basically profess Caesar as Lord. So these people were very hostile toward Christians, and those Christians that wouldn't bow down to Caesar, they were definitely persecuted, and many of them were put to death. It was that serious. Then there was also a large Jewish population. They were also hostile toward the Christians. They thought these Christians were more like a cult, and they made it really hard to be a Christian in Smyrna in that day. The third church, of course, is those that believed in Jesus Christ. They made up this church in Smyrna. They were a small church, and on the outside, the outward appearance, it looked like they would be probably a small, weak church. It was the opposite. They were a very strong spiritual church. So this church is getting persecuted from everyone from all directions at a time when it wasn't easy at all to be a Christian in Smyrna. Yet this letter has nothing but praise from Jesus toward these believers. Look how it starts out in Revelation 2, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, 
These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. When he says he's the first and the last, he's actually referencing something he said in chapter 1, where he said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, if you remember. Alpha happens to be the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. When you think about that, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the A and I'm the Z. You know, I've read whenever you cycle in a group, you need to have a strong front rider who can see what's up ahead so he can warn those behind him of what's coming. Holes in the roads, obstacles in the way. The front rider also sets the pace. He takes most of the brunt of the wind resistance. But the person at the end of the group is also very important. The caboose position has to be an experienced rider who can be back there encouraging people that are starting to grow weary in the race to keep riding, to keep pedaling, to keep going and not give up. Well, when I think about this whole thing, I picture Jesus doing that to us, leading us and saying to us, I'm the first and the last. I've been through it all. I've been through suffering. I've been through death. And I'm going to lead you along the way. But that's not all. He not only leads us, he follows up behind us to encourage us. Don't give up. No matter how hard it gets, don't give up, don't quit, don't give in. Then he mentions he was dead and now is alive. You know, that ought to bring a lot of encouragement for people that are facing suffering, pain, and persecution in their lives. To know that Jesus was once dead, but now he is alive. That ought to bring us a lot of comfort and hope when we face the trials and tests of our life, the painful times in our own lives. You know, when someone is out there trying to give you hope and encouragement, you probably want someone that kind of knows what you're going through, right? They've experienced something similar to what you're going through. If you've been diagnosed with cancer, I guarantee you, you want someone to talk to you who has had cancer and beat that cancer. You want that kind of encouragement. When you're betrayed by someone that you trusted, maybe a spouse, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, you thought you were going to die of a broken heart. You find encouragement from people that can relate to what you're going through. People that have been through what you're going through and they made it through it. That's where we find encouragement. I said all that to say that's what Jesus is doing for that church in Smyrna. That's what he's trying to tell us today. He's reminding us, hey, I've overcome. I've been through it all. And so can you. If you'll just trust me. If you'll just stick by my side. So Jesus, when it comes down to it, is everything and all that we need. Think about our prayers. It's not the words that we choose that make our prayers powerful, is it? Not at all. The power of our prayer is really in the God that we pray those prayers to. It's not some special recipe of prayer. Some people think they've got to get every word just right. You don't. It's who you're saying those words to that matters. You know, it says right there that we are praying to Him who's the first and the last. That means He's got it all covered from beginning to end. We're praying to Him who died and rose again. That's, that's powerful. But church, if we don't really take the time to realize who we're praying to, we're just going to pray these tiny, weak type of prayers that are going to get us nowhere. But when you remember who you're praying to, the God of this universe, we can pray with confidence. And we can pray with a boldness like we've never had before when you realize who your prayers are being sent to. I mean, that's a great way to start this letter. Look at what it says in verse 9. Jesus says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
Jesus is listing four things about this church. And if you're taking notes, the first one is uh, Jesus knows their trouble. Jesus knows their afflictions. You know, some of us or our family members have been through some really tough times, some really tough trials in our lives. Maybe it was some kind of really serious health issue. Some of us have even lost loved ones. Uh, they've died suddenly. I mean, those are tough things. And when we encounter such difficult things, sometimes we wonder, does the Lord really love us? And one reason I think we get totally discouraged in our faith sometimes is that we think for some reason God is not paying attention. I believe Jesus is writing this letter to tell them and to tell us today, I see what's happening. I see what you're going through. I'm not oblivious to any of it, and I'm with you. I'm with you through every step of the way. The word affliction, I looked it up, it means catastrophic pressure. Catastrophic pressure. I believe these believers in Smyrna were actually feeling some catastrophic pressure for their faith. They were crushed, they were afflicted, they were helpless and persecuted by the people all around them. And they weren't going through what they were going through just because. You know, when it comes down to it, you and I are not going through the troubles we're going through just because. And if we'll put our faith and our trust in, in God, God will use what we're going through to fulfill His purpose and His plan. I heard uh, Joyce Meyer describe affliction one time, and she uh, held up a peach seed, which I've got here today, a little peach seed, a dried up peach seed. And she said, you know, if you don't bury this in the ground, it's always going to be this. It's always going to be a dried up peach seed. She said, so unless you're willing to be buried, so to speak, under the trials and tests and persecutions of this world, you're only going to be what you've always been. Think about that. You're always going to be who you've always been. But she said, when you plant this seed in the ground, yeah, it's going to be in darkness. We don't like the darkness in our lives. But she said, little by little, it's going to break off that outer shell. It's going to break that and open this seed up to even greater things that God has really planted in our lives and wants to come out. So when God puts this seed into the ground, yeah, it's suffocating in there. It's dark in there. It's hot in there. But little by little, it breaks down this dry outer shell. And before long, little roots start to grow out of this seed. And before long, roots of li uh, uh, life is springing up through the surface of the ground. And before long, this little seed that was once dried up, looked like there was no life in it, becomes a full-grown peach tree, full of peaches that can be picked and sent all over the world for people to enjoy and to receive nutrition from. That's exactly what God is doing with our afflictions. He can use them for His good. You realize that? He can use them for His good. He can show the world that when the enemy comes at us and tries to bury us under the trials and tests and troubles and the darkness of our own uh, personal problems, that He can spring up new life. Amen? That if we root down in Jesus Christ... He will allow new life to spring up out of that horrible situation. Think about that. That's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus said what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn around and use for good. Think about the problems you've been through. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe some kind of health issue. Some kind of betrayal that hurt. God is showing us that a greater seed has been planted on the inside of us. And eventually, it's going to grow. Eventually, new life is going to come out of that seed. But the thing is, sometimes, and only God knows this, sometimes that's the only thing, those hard times, those tests, those trials, that's the only thing that could get us to where God wants us to be. 
You know it's true, some of our greatest times of spiritual growth, they come from some of our hardest times, our biggest troubles. Think about your children. When they're small, when they run into some kind of trouble, what do they do? They come running to mom or dad. You know, we as followers of Christ, we need to do that with Jesus. The more we're crushed, the more we're afflicted, the faster and harder we ought to run to Jesus. You realize that? Afflictions and persecutions can really make us stronger. Because what do they do? They bring us closer to the heart of God. Have you ever noticed that happening in your life? I know I have. And when do you find yourself really leaning on God? Is it during the good times when everything is going well? No. If we're honest, it's when we're going through our hardest times that bring us closer to God like never before. So that we can look back and we can see, yeah, what the enemy meant for evil, God's going to turn around and use for good. I'm definitely not trying to trivialize suffering. Suffering is real. There's a lot of suffering in this world. It hurts. Suffering is hard. There are many of you I know that have suffered a whole lot more than I have. But what I am trying to say is that when we have the right view of our suffering, the right view of our suffering, it can make all the difference in the world. Especially with Jesus. Jesus says, I know your afflictions. He's not oblivious to those afflictions. He knows our afflictions. He sees our trouble. The second thing he says is he knows their poverty. Even though this city was known to be a very wealthy city, this church was in poverty. And Jesus recognizes and acknowledges their poverty. And it's pretty severe poverty. The Greek word used for poverty here literally means totally destitute, as if a beggar. So these church members were starving, literally. They were starving. Many of them were homeless. And in fact, most of that was due to they weren't able to go out and get a job and hold down a job and make a living because they refused, because of their faith, to bow down before Caesar. So these believers were definitely dirt poor. Yet the words of Jesus are opposite. He said, yeah, you're poor, yet you're rich. Think about this. I know people who are materially rich and relationally poor. Materially rich and relationally poor, and we call them rich. And I know people who are materially poor and spiritually rich. We call them poor. I wonder if we don't have that whole thing backwards. I think Jesus is telling us we do. For many of us, especially in this culture today, we value our prosperity, right? We like our prosperity. We value the fact that we can afford the luxuries, not only the necessities of life, but the luxuries of life. Not too long ago, I was walking through our living room at home, and I looked over and I saw my son, Austin. He's on his iPhone, downloading some uh, iTunes from his phone uh, onto his phone. I see my wife over there working on her laptop computer. I do have an iPhone that I barely uh, know how to use. Some of you've got some of those uh, Apple watches, fancy gadgets, expensive gadgets. And when I think about this, in the world of technology, one name comes to mind, Steve Jobs. Anybody ever heard of him? Sure you have. He changed the world with technology. And in the process, he got rich. But he died in 2011 with a net worth of over $7 billion. You realize he didn't take a penny with him? Do You realize he had to leave it all behind? All the iPhones in the world, all the money in the world can do him no good right now. And his money wasn't what was important to God for sure. And think about this, wherever he is, it wasn't because of the wealth that he accumulated. Wherever he is now, isn't because of the wealth that he accumulated while he was here on, here on this earth. His earthly wealth can't protect him anymore. His earthly, earthly wealth can't provide for him anymore. 
Think about the wealth that we accumulate. The little wealth that we accumulate in this life. It really doesn't matter in eternity. Not at all. The things that impress us mean zilch in the kingdom of God when it comes down to it. I mean, think about it. Do you think your house, do you think your boat or your possessions, your money, your bank account impresses God? The God that created this universe? I don't think so. I don't think he's impressed with our wealth or our money. He's not concerned with those things. He's concerned with far greater things, your faith. He's concerned about your soul. I read this quote one time. I love this quote. It says, you'll never know if Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And when Jesus is all you have, then you'll discover that Jesus is all you need. When I think about that quote connecting to this church in Smyrna, it was their, their poverty that made them learn that Jesus was really everything that they needed. They were such a poor church that they realized they had nothing else but Jesus. That led them to be more mature than most Christians ever even attain. Their members faithfully and totally relied on Jesus for everything. You say sometimes being poor is bad, and I don't wish being poor on any of us. It's not always a bad thing when it gets our attention on Jesus. The third thing Jesus says to the church of Smyrna is that Jesus knows your enemies. Look what he says in verse 9. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus is just saying that when you're facing slander and trouble from people, you need to stop and recognize who your real adversary is, and it's not those that are in front of you right then. It's Satan himself. Paul probably says it best in Ephesians 6.12. He says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So think about it. When you're going... You're battling in this world. You're not battling up against that boss. You're not fighting against that coworker, maybe that professor, that teacher at school, or your in-laws or that person that's uh, coming down on you at the office, or the people that are out there slandering you and bashing you on Facebook and social media. No, right there it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Oh, these people do have a part to play because they're being used by Satan to get you down, for sure, and to make you less effective for God. But look what it says in verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I'm thinking, man, when I hear that, I don't like the direction this is heading. And Jesus said it's about to get worse. He gets right to the root of why it's about to get worse. He says, I tell you the devil, right there it is, will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. He says 10 days, but that's kind of a figure of speech. He's basically saying that your suffering will have a time frame on it. It's not going to be indefinite. Uh, you're actually maybe go through a season of suffering, but it's going to have an end. This too shall pass. So whatever challenges you're facing right now, whatever obstacles are in your path, we don't have to be afraid. Not at all. Because we, like the church in Smyrna, can know that we have a God on our side. We have a God that is for us. So think about anything that you could face. I'll name a few. Cancer. God's on your side. Alzheimer's. The coronavirus. Maybe uh, car crashes or uh, the failing economy, losing your job. Maybe it's crime or natural disasters, whatever it is. 
And whatever comes our way, we can know that we're not in this thing alone, that God's right there beside us. God is on our side. And remember this, in our own lives, there's nothing. God has perfect knowledge about everything that's going on in our lives. There's nothing that He can't see. He knows what has, what is, and what's going to happen in our lives. And what surprises us is no surprise to Him at all. So think about it. He knows our troubles, our poverty, and our enemies. And point number four, He says, be faithful. Being faithful is so important. He says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. He's saying, remain faithful even when you're facing death. Pretty hard thing to do. Remain faithful even when you're facing death, and I will give you the crown of life. If you read your Bible time and time again, the Bible encourages us to remain faithful, to keep going, not giving up, not quitting. And I wish I could tell you that when God promises to protect us that we're invincible. I wish I could, but I can't. The Bible doesn't say that. But I do hope that I never have to face death for my convictions or for my faith, and I hope none of you out there do either. But if, ever, but if it ever comes down to it, I pray that we'll take these words that Jesus is writing to this church to heart, that even though maybe our lives are going to be taken away from us, our future is totally secure in the hands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The promise is that even though we may die in this life, those that remain faithful, for them, there's waiting a crown of life that's never going to fade away. It's never going to pass away. That's good news, church. Fifty years after John's death, a man by the name of Polycarp, he was the pastor of the church in Smyrna at the time, was burned at the stake because he refused to bow down and worship Caesar. He was martyred in 155 A.D. And Polycarp was brought before the council who gave him a choice. You either denounce Jesus Christ or you die. Polycarp's answer echoes still down through the ages of time. Listen to his words. He said, 86 years I have served the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has never once wronged me. How can I deny my king who saved me? You know, when the council threatened to burn him at the stake, he replies, you threaten me with a fire that'll burn for an hour or so and then go out. But do you know that there is a fire awaiting the wicked in the judgment to come that you can't even imagine? Do what you will. My purpose is going to be unchanged. And with that, they lit the fire. He was burned at the stake. He was martyred for his faith. I'm thinking about what a tough decision that would be. Could we have made that same decision? How could he have faced death and remained so steadfast and so faithful, so committed and unchanged? It was because he put his total trust in his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who had declared to the church in Smyrna, I'm the one who was dead, but now I've come to life. That's powerful. He knew, Polycarp knew, that Jesus, his Savior, had already overcome and had the victory over death itself. Once we understand that for ourselves, once we understand that there is a, a crown awaiting us one day, you and I can be faithful to the end, no matter what we're facing. There's persecution going on all over the world against Christians, even today. All over the world. And I believe there are a lot of polycarps out there suffering those persecutions. In the southern half of the nation of Sudan, men and women are mercilessly dying every year for their faith. Men are held up and crucified on crosses in village squares to mock the God that they serve. 
You know, when I think of these men and women, these are men and women that refuse to bow down to other gods. They refuse to swear an allegiance with the Caesars of their day. And they're bound and determined they're not going to give up on their Christian faith. No matter what they face, no matter the pressure, no matter the threats, these people would rather die than to surrender what Jesus has already given them. You realize you can't stop people like that? Not at all. Death has no power over believers who are determined to stay faithful. One day we're all going to die. That's not what's in question. But will we be faithful no matter what? That's the question. So don't put your faith in the things that this world has to offer. Yeah, the world gives you fame and can take it away. The world can make you rich today and you'll be poor tomorrow. We can have a job today and not have a job tomorrow. We can be healthy. All of a sudden, out of the blue, some sickness hits us. Our friends can say that they love us and will always be there for us. We look around and they're gone. They've disappeared. So let me ask you a question today. What have you sacrificed in your own relationship with Jesus Christ? In this ever-changing culture and day and world that we live in, there are a lot of Christians that are afraid to say, I'm a follower of Christ. In this day and age and culture we live in, I would be afraid not to say that. Amen? Think about it. Jesus himself said, if you deny me in front of men, I will deny you in front of the Father. I don't want Jesus to ever deny me or you in front of the Father. Church, it's time that we hold fast and hard to our faith, no matter what oppositions we face. Hold fast and hard no matter what the enemy is trying to throw at you in this world. And if we do, Jesus gives us a promise in verse 11. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. We've all heard of the first death. First death is the physical death that we all have an appointment with one day. We're all going to die. But the second death, that's a different story. The second death is actually reserved for those that do not belong to Jesus Christ. It's what Revelation says will happen to the devil, his followers, uh, and his angels. It's eternal damnation. It's an eternal separation from God. But Jesus, on the other hand, promises all of us that would stay faithful, remain faithful to him. We're never going to have to experience that second death. But we're going to have eternal life with him forever. Amen? Hallelujah. To those who stand strong in the midst of the trials and tests that we face, knowing that God is faithful... You know something? We can know that our best is yet to come. Whenever this world seems to be falling apart around us and everything seems to be going wrong, we can know with Jesus Christ our best days are to come. I believe Jesus wants to encourage, wanted to encourage that church in Smyrna, wants to encourage us today that he's with us, that he's faithful, and he's going to do what he promises. You may not see him at work, but I guarantee you he's at work in your situation. So when you're facing your toughest times, I pray that you'll just rest assured that he knows what you're going through. He's not oblivious to it. He understands it. He sees it. He's in control. And he's faithful, wants to see you through it. And you can trust him. And the great news, one day as believers in Christ, we're all going to receive that crown of life that Paul was talking about and reign with Jesus forever. Reign with Jesus forever. So today, be encouraged. Don't run from the troubles that might be hitting you from all sides. Don't run away from the troubles. Run toward Jesus and embrace him like you've never embraced him before. Let him do the things in your life through a relationship with him 
that only He can do when you're in step with Him. Trust Him, church. I believe He has great things for you and I if we'll just put our whole lives in His hands, that we'll trust Him. Could you bow your heart in prayer? Lord God, we do thank You for the love that You have for each one of us. It's such a great love that we can't even begin to imagine that kind of love, Lord God, but it's also a kind of love that will let us go through some tough times so that these trials and tests will draw us even closer to You and to Your heart. Lord God, I pray that we would let all of our hearts turn more towards You, that You would be able to be the God that You want to be in our lives each and every day, and let the life of Your Spirit and the life of Your Son live big on the inside of each and every one of us. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.